Welcome to the Talent Rebelcast, Chats with Smart People. My name is Elaine Bailey, and I'm here with my co-host, Tracy Parsons. In this series, you're going to be hearing from some big thinkers in the talent space who we've invited just to come in and have a chat. Unlike anything else you've heard before, we are not prescripted. We don't have a plan for where this conversation is going, and it's going to be a wild ride. So buckle up and join us. Let's get started. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Chats with Smart People with Tracy Parson and myself here on the Talent Rebel Alliance Rebel Cast. We have um, one of my absolute favorite people um, with us today, and I'm so glad that she was flexible enough and willing to come and join us because I think it's going to be a great conversation. Everybody, please welcome Maury Hannigan. Hello. How are you today, Maury? I'm great. How are you doing? So glad to, to have you here. I have a a little story to tell you guys about um, Maureen and kind of how I first met her. I'm sure I, you know, I probably met you before this, but I'll tell you the biggest memory I have of okay. meeting you. We were at a conference in Florida someplace. There was okay. some conference in Florida and yep. I can't remember where Palm Springs or some, someplace that nobody ever left the hotel. So it was uh-huh. like one of those sort of Florida things. And I had gone downstairs. I was getting ready. I had a presentation that afternoon and I was not at all prepared for it as usual, or at least what I wanted to say, I had decided at some point I wanted to rip it up and start over again. And so that's always the consequence of what happens if I don't go early in the morning, I spend too much time thinking. So I went down to the outdoor pool bar because I find that's the best place to work. I remember this. Yes. That's right. And I was having myself a nice um, supportive beverage um, to prepare my afternoon presentation. And um, Maura was sitting next to me and she introduced herself and we just started chatting and talking Uh about what it was like in in today, in that, in the market at the time and what it was like to really, what it was like to um, be a woman in this space, right? And to be Mm -hmm. able to find your own place. And I was really impressed with her. She talked about starting her own company and the work she had been doing um, in the video space at that time, video was pretty fresh. I mean, there that were not a lot of people kind of hawking video out there and um, talking about video components and um, just completely impressed by Maureen. Had this fabulous conversation with her. And I think the best part about the conversation for me is at the very end of it, I was. she's like, well, you know, luckily you're almost done because, of course, I was having more than one adult beverage. I was like, oh, no, I'm getting ready to go on stage. I'll see you in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> she gave me this look came over her face and I think she was kind of like, okay. I remember that going, okay, wow, yep. So there she well, goes. But it was, was a great presentation and I had a great yes, time and it was fabulous. Yes, as, you know, I, I walked in and thought, okay, let's, and it was great. So um, I remember that, I remember it well. And I'll say, and nobody's still hawking video. That's <laughs> so right. Don't hawk video. <laughs> We add video components to your TA strategy. <laughs> I know. See, you're so good at that. See, that's not, it's, I'm just, I'm bad. Tracy, you've known Maury for a long time as well. So um, I then Tracy, yeah. do you remember our first conversation? I want to say it was at SRSC. No, no. You have been a long proponent of video. And I'd watched you when you were at Smash Fly and thought, God, this woman really knows her stuff. I, I really want to meet this woman. And I managed to get a call with you. And we started talking about video. We were like building on each other and reinforcing each other. Then I think you went down the path of um, either it was professionally shot video or scripting people, which I vehemently disagreed with. And then we just battled for like the next 20 minutes. And I thought, 
there goes that relationship. Right. <laughs> just oh, never. With this woman for half an hour. Um, and then we just kept recycling and, and you know, obviously became great friends. So, um, but I distinctly remember that going, oh man, I really wanted to meet this woman. And now I just couldn't keep my mouth shut. And I just argued with her nonstop for <laughs> half an hour. So, <laughs> so typically okay, me. So I, so I wasn't in that conversation, but I can tell you nine chances out of 10, Henry, Tracy was the antagonist in that conversation. Well, I took the bait. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you know, you know, that's all I'm going to say. What, what I do remember that conversation, Maury. And I remember hanging up going, well, I have a lot to think about. And so one of the things that I, I, yeah, I fight with it. I fight with it. I can't tell you the number of times that I've fought with people about like that challenge my, my status quo. That's one of the things that I've always loved about you. And never did I think that that made us like ruin a relationship for me. It's about giving me something new to think about. And that's what I've always appreciated about you is that you have such a wonderful and candidate focused point of view, like that you want to make things better better. And we're going to fight about things. I shoot. We, the number of time people I fought with on the conversations with smart people. I mean, every time it devolves into Tracy pushing somebody's buttons or somebody pushing Tracy's buttons and I get fired up and I, I have that distinct memory as well. But I also remember working very closely with you on some great projects and telling customers about, if you guys aren't using this, you're making a mistake. So, and you don't, you don't want to make a mistake. I know you don't want to make mistakes. So you should talk to Maury. I always appreciate the support. Yeah. And I'll admit that I get really frustrated when people don't do the simple things well. It's, Dylan and I were starting to reference this before. People are really struggling right now to hire. They're struggling on lots of different things. It just amazes me to watch kind of the the quick, easy fixes that they could do and in truth should do. And I'll I'll put the judgment in there, should do. I was listening to um, Christian Foreman the other day, the the CEO of AppCast, and he was being interviewed and he said to someone, you know, if you want to increase your application rate, just cut the time of your application from 15 minutes to five and, you know, it will have this result. And it was like, that's what you need to do. And I see all these people who are looking, oh, AI is going to solve this or there's shiny objects going to solve things. And they're running around looking for some magic cure while they still have three-month-long you know, interview processes and 20-minute-long applications that ask three times for the same information. Try to stifle myself occasionally and just go, <laughs> oh, for heaven's sakes, you know, like get the barriers out of the way. And then when I get really ranting, you know, and people say, oh, well, you know, compliance requires us to do this or the hiring managers won't do this. And I want to say, no wonder HR doesn't have a seat at the table. Oh, right. Stand, we're a pain in the butt. Up. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're pointing fingers. We overcomplicate everything, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's human nature, by the way. I mean, I do. I think that's human nature is to overcomplicate things because I think in some way we feel like the more complicated something is, the better it is, right? Like, it, like somehow we are proud of ourselves for having marched over the fields and across the mountains and through the valleys and look what we have accomplished, which at the end of the day, you're right. If we would just do some of the easy, simple things, we probably wouldn't have the biggest challenges that we're trying to resolve in the first place. Well, two things. So I did not hear Christian's interview and I did complete with the team at InFlight. So if you haven't gone to InFlight's site to download the state of the apply flow study, the average application time for the Fortune 500 right now is five minutes. 
So it's shorter than it's ever been before. Shocked me. Like when we were yeah. crunching the numbers, I was like, get yeah. the hell out of here. That can't be right. It's also over a hundred clicks. <laughs> yeah. So the click per second. So it's all these garbage clicks, right? So congratulations on shortening your thing, but you're also training them to ignore you. So yay, way to go, right? So again, yeah. to your point, Maury, they've just, they've, they're, they're trying to do the, they're, they're not willing to do the simple things. What information do you need from a human to move this forward? Collect are, that. Yeah. What are essential? And and we've all got this idea, maybe from the days when people filled out paper applications and those become became, you know, sort of records is what do you need as a first screen versus what do you need for second and third? This idea that you could only collect information once. Yes, there may be things you need to know before you can hire, but it doesn't have to be, let's get it all up front because we need to know what high school they went to um, today. And the idea that you could do this in phases is something that um, if a company I don't often admire, but GE years ago started to break it down. Imagine me giving a positive shout out to GE given some of the other things they did. Um, Tell me more. I know. I'm like, I didn't know about this deep seated antagonism yeah, towards GE, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna dig into that in a minute. I'm here for it. Actually, I've got an advisor who's a former GE, so I have probably have to dig myself out of that hole. But they did it some very smart, sophisticated people who sort of looked at, okay, what is it we really need in order to get, you know, kind of do a short list of people we want to talk to? And then there may be more information we need after that. But how much are we really using to evaluate who we're gonna talk to as a first round screen? And at some point before we ever add them on as an employee, yes, we need to know these other things, but we don't need to know it before they ever start. And then people seem to walk away from that. You know, what's interesting, and I can, and I'm kind of play off of this is is trying to build a system now that does this from scratch, working at a a smaller company now and kind of where there was no infrastructure in place and and looking to put in place. Um, And I'm a big advocate of of using technology to support us wherever we can, because we're not going to have, you know, we're not going to have a team of 50 people in the back end. There's going to be like three people and, you know, we have to have the robots do what the robots do well. That's right. But the challenge here is, is that the robots have been built based on our misperception of what it is what we have to do in terms of our process. So for me to find a robot that is an ATS system that can have a complex application that can collect all of this data is very simple. For me to find something that actually will gather that data when I actually need it, which is right before the hire or the offer or during it was like kind of during that onboarding phase is very, very hard. I can't find like that sort of tool that does it. And I think that speaks to this idea that we'd like to, we've we've pushed all this stuff up to the front off of our misperception of that's where we need to collect all the information and data on. And we've now pigeonholed people into their ability to how to collect and manage it. They have to think outside of what their system tells them to. How can you break it, make it work? I think you both are leading into something that I find incredibly fascinating. It's two things. It's not just the timing and cadence in which we collect information, but it's also the fact that we really historically for the last 30 years have basically taken everything we've ever done and just put it on the internet. We have a newspaper ad, we put it on the internet. We have an application that's paper, we put it on the internet. Nobody at any point in this digital transformation, right, which is my favorite buzzword these days, has thought wait, is this really what we need? And nobody stopped to revisit the collection of data, when we collect data, what data we collect. And we're changing our requirements and our skills are 
so furiously under duress and under change and under stress that we're not going and going, yeah, this is dumb. Like, why do we keep doing this the, the dumb way? But instead we keep going and buying band-aids for tech that says, okay, well, this needs this and this needs this instead of really like, what do we need this to do? And the best example of that is we had help wanted ads in the newspaper. Monster took and put on the internet. That was and- my job. That was my first job in this industry. That was literally my first job in the industry was going to customers and saying, hey, this newspaper ad that you just are ready, getting ready to run in the Tampa Tribune, you could put it on monster.com and it'd be so much cheaper. That was my whole job. And so people, we went from three lines in the newspaper to, oh, wow, there's no word count anymore. How much more text can we throw in there? And never stop to think about how do we market a job to a potential candidate? You know, we, we... Went from the the and and financial constraints of being having to do these little tiny newspaper ads, but we've never evolved past it. We're still throwing job descriptions out there, and because compliance and legal, I mean, a job description is a legal document, right? It's it's supposed to be oh, the the piece that you use to evaluate whether or not ultimately you hire or fire someone. It never was intended to be a marketing document. You know, I keep saying it's like advertising jobs. It's the same thing as a car company trying to advertise their cars with the owner's manual. Exactly. Here's 170 pages on how to drive the sob. You know, it's like, that's not what they do, but we do it in HR and and don't think about it twice. That's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I love that analogy. That's exactly what it is. Advertising a car with the owner's manual. Exactly. So I'm in a little bit of trouble now because I'm hiring some people to come work with us. I didn't get the memo that this is a legal document, so I might be in a little bit of trouble. (laughs) (laughs) On the bright side, my compliance department is exactly zero people. So that that is one of the You'll be okay. You'll be okay. So this, I do want to go back to one thing. And we've, I think we've mentioned compliance three times. Can we all just agree that compliance is the greatest excuse HR has ever had (laughs) to not do something right? Okay. Wait a minute. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. Please, please. Okay. Um, And, and I know everybody who knows me from my previous life is going to be like, what? She's going to talk to positively Uh positively about compliance. Okay. So as I have now moved into a new role, right. As the head of talent, the chief people officer for a, growing company with um, only a few people at the top of it, right? So it's not a big corporate infrastructure. Layers, right? Not a lot of layers. It has become clear to me that there are some elements of compliance, which if not done correctly, are going to fall on my head. Like people are going to come and actually come after, like the IRS can like sue my butt. I have become newly concerned about some layers of compliance. And I'm going to say I'm, I feel badly now for how harshly I spoke to my compliance friends <laughs> in the past, um, because I have found myself being the person in the room. You, I can't even believe this in the room. Who's like, yeah, I don't think we can do that. That's not legally compliant and feeling somewhat bad about it as I say it. Right. So I kind of get that. I think, yes, we use compliance often as a way to say no to things, right? Rather than look at things and say, what is the rule actually? And what is its intent? And then what can I go and do around it, right? And I think that that's a level of critical thinking that's required. But I think what happens is 
what had happened was, is I think what happens is people who get into this role get a little anxious because there's all this regulation and reporting and fear that you're going to do something wrong that you just get so afraid to look outside the box or what's been done before because you don't, you you just don't want to be that person who's held responsible. And I think we all have to challenge ourselves to get out of it. I am changing my perception that compliance is intending to be the roadblock, which I really did believe for many, many years, intending to be the squasher of fun and quality and um, have just become, I think there's just a bunch of people who are really, really afraid and we have to learn how to help them break their fear. We're three women, right? So you're not going to find any one of us who are going to disagree with the intent of a lot of these laws, laws, which is to make a level playing field. That's right. I mean, clearly we want these things here, but you also understand in large corporations, the kinds of folks who hire into compliance are risk averse individuals. That's right. That that is a a required criteria for these folks. So where you find the middle ground of, yes, you've got to look at the intent of the law. I don't want people to say, ah, the heck with all this legal nonsense. I'm going to do what I want. No, there's a reason for this stuff. And generally, the reason is good stuff. You know, the the intent of most of it is to create a level playing field. The the, the question is, how do you not strangle yourself? I actually think you just hit on something that's critically important here is that we often hire the people who we ask to support us and help us understand what we can and can't do from a compliance perspective. We purposely don't hire problem solvers in that space. And that's exactly who we need. We need critical thinking problem solvers. I think I may I may have misstated. I very much value compliance. I think it's incredibly important within an organization. Where I get frustrated is them being used as a scapegoat yeah. right, for not taking care of the candidate. So where I get frustrated is when people just throw up their arms at innovation and just say compliance because they don't want to do it or they don't want to think about it. And they just use this as a convenient scapegoat for yeah. not doing something innovative or interesting. Right. At the same time, I will say 100%. I do want my compliance people to be risk adverse because the people that we are collectively working with in this podcast, it's a balloon tether situation. We are all balloons that are floating in the universe saying, look at all these wonderful things that we could be doing. If we could just do these things, somebody needs to keep us tethered to reality. And I need my compliance people to be the tether to the reality of this is either legally risky, this is absolutely damaging to somebody that you're not thinking of. I need them, I need tethers and I want them to be risk adverse. But I, what I don't want are our leaders using them as an excuse not to right. innovate. And Ellen, I think you're going to find in a smaller company now that even like a legal department is much more advisory that's going to say, if you do this, here are the risks, and your management team is going to decide, yes, I'll take that risk not. Right. I think when you get into big companies, it's no longer advisory. They're given absolute veto power. And so exactly. it, it doesn't become, Tracy, as you're saying, hey, if you do this, here's an unintended consequence. It's no, you can't do it. And that's where you get into trouble because everything you do in business has risk, right? And, and yes. you know, in a small organization, you, you've got enough senior people who can say, okay, we understand there's risk there. We, you know, we're prepared to take that. Yes, we could get sued. You can get sued for anything. And at right. some point you just get used to that. Um, but um, 
now I can't name this person because they probably, I, I don't want to destroy their relationships, um, but someone I, that we all know and respect very well um, mm-hmm. once said of their compliance person, I just have to wait for her to die. Like, right. He had tried everything to get around <laughs> and do things that he knew perfectly well needed to be done. And he'd gone up the chain of command to go, look, this is an unreasonable constraint. It's hurting us as a company. It's hurting our ability to hire. And this compliance person had sway. He was a force to be reckoned with. So, you know, he finally just threw up his hands and said, I just got to wait for her to go away as long as she's in that role. And he finally left the organization. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. And someone that, you know, is really good. So, yeah, there's sometimes you want senior management to look around and go, do we have legal and compliance in an advisory role or have we really empowered them to just shut down things that other learned, experienced professionals tell us we need to do to move the business forward? And let's understand what the consequences are. And unfortunately, it doesn't happen. Do you find in today's market kind of as things of, you know, as we're in this like space where everybody's uh, on one hand realizing that they've got to do something, um, the, the market has changed on them so dramatically, they, they're, they're panicking around that. But in conjunction with that are also afraid of doing anything because we don't know what tomorrow is going to be. Are you finding that a new challenge to to market to or to and to work with companies on it more are you seeing a difference yes I, I tend to focus on the positive so the thing that that i'm seeing happen that i really like is you know there have been all these constraints hiring manager won't do this hiring manager can't do this we can't do this we can't do that that because there's such a struggle to hire right now that there are some ta leaders that are feeling bold and to stand up and say look do you want to hire or don't you you know, in, in my world, obviously, it's video. It's like, can you get a hiring right. manager to make a quick video? And it's turning around a hiring manager going, look, here's your job description. I can go out and market the hell out of this, you know, and I'll do the best I can do. But it doesn't differentiate us. Nobody reads it. And if you really need a body in that seat, I really can't help you with this. If you really want me to get somebody's attention, I need a 20-second video clip. Your call, <laughs> but tell me how badly you need this hire. And because things are so dire in terms of actually finding people and getting them to move and getting them to commit to a job, all of a sudden that's having some resonance. It's resonating with people. But obviously we've got good friends in this industry and they're working incredibly hard and they're suffering their stress sure. and all of that, you know, and completely overwhelmed. And, and you never want to see that. But sometimes when it does get that tight, it becomes an either or. It's not, well, next week I'll see if a good candidate applies. You know, it's right now, you've had this job open for six weeks. You got nobody. (laughs) You know, something has to change here, whether it's our application or the way we're marketing it or how long we're putting through an interview process or the number of interviews. We really are getting down to, do you want it or don't you? You know, I can get you higher, but (laughs) here's the only way I'm going to do it. So that's helping. It unfortunately comes with a lot of of stress for the poor people in the middle. (laughs) But, you know, I think hiring managers are, are getting over this. Well, here's what I want. Here's what I need. You're seeing, you know, for tech girls, people are backing away from needing a college degree. Oh, you yeah. Know, that Absolutely. was unheard of 10 years ago. Oh, my God, they got to go to college. Absolutely got to have that. Um, and now it's like, oh, no, they just need to know how to code. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, I guess I don't really need that. I know. I had a, so funny, I had a conversation with a um, hiring manager who was um, looking to put up a new um, post just, just this week. 
yes, the the role is um, an extremely important role for the organization. There's a lot of work to do with it, et cetera. But it's it's what you what they really needed was somebody who had some experience in the particular industry and um, was innovative and was ready to hit the ground running and off and going. They put on the thing and the original piece because this is how they were taught to write job descriptions, and and really that's how they defined it to me. This is how I was taught to write it. That the person needed an MBA, you know, a specialty plus X number of years. And I was like, do they really? Like, do you even have that? Who do you know has that? Because if they really need it, I'll absolutely, you know, go and try and find this person, right? But I don't, would you even know? Do you ever even ask? Has anybody ever looked? And they were like, oh, no, I just thought that was something you had to do. If you were going to hire somebody at this level, they had to have X. It's like, oh, no, no, no. Wipe that away. You may know that for before I started SparkStart, I ran a consulting firm that advised on campus recruiting programs. Everybody's got, you know, got to have this GPA. They absolutely got to have, you know, these skills and things. And I went through and I, I ran that firm for more than 20 years and asked, do you ever ask for a transcript? Like, right. no. <laughs> it's like, if, if the, you don't even know if they've taken these courses, you don't know what the grades they learn. It's how important is this stuff if you don't ever really look at it? They wanted their GPA cut off, but then never saw where someone excelled or where they didn't, or, or never even looked at which specific courses they took, which made the whole thing a little suspect that this was absolutely required, just kind of assuming that it was all there. So, yeah, yeah, the, the crazy thing, these requirements, and then it's like, okay, I can get you that person, but at what, you know, but here's the price tag that person right. comes yeah. at. And it's, it's an interesting, it's a really interesting shift I've seen over the last six to 18 months of TA leaders feeling empowered again. We've gone from filling recs to being advisors, right? And being, because we know the thing that we know. There are things that we know that our hiring managers do not know. And they're not supposed to know because that's not their job. But this is the first time I've watched as HR leaders and TA leaders have sat down with their their peers and their leaderships and their hiring managers to say, hey, the way we've always done it is not a sustainable model. You're seeing it right now. Where we've decided to put our locations is not a sustainable model. You're seeing it right now. Where we, The messaging that we are putting forward is not working. We are not retaining our talent. Here are three things that you could do that are little and simple and easy, and it's your choice to do them. I can implement these for you Mr. You know, peers and leaders and hiring managers, but I'm seeing more of our TA and HR leaders rise. Like they're they're stepping up and feeling empowered to say, "Yeah, of course it's not working." Do you know how we've been cobbling this together in the past for you for years? <laughs> it's it's time to kind of listen to us finally because we've been saying this, and and now the chickens right. have come to roost. You're seeing that we don't have any talent because there is none. They've they've and, made some choices. You know, I wonder, is it that the TA leaders are, are feeling important to step up? Or is it that the senior management team is turning to TA and saying, solve this? Because for the first time, we're hurting, the, the lack of talent is hurting business results. I mean, we've all right. seen stores that have said, you know, close because we can't staff it. We're seeing yep. plants. We're seeing things that can't get delivered. The 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 real constraint to growth and or even sustainability right now is there are no bodies there. So, Correct. you know, all of a sudden it's you're there's a real dollar amount attached to not having the, the candidates and, and the hires. So and all of a sudden, those are the chickens. I, I, think, I mean, that's what's coming to roost. Yeah, go ahead. 
Sorry. Yeah, I think some of the TA leaders, you know, have been a little surprised that they'd never met the chairman. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they're being summoned to the chairman's office to say, hey, you know, we've got three plants that are understaffed. We've got, um, you know, just today's New York Times, Rikers Island is 2,000 guards short every single day. You can't run <laughs> any organization right. when you've got that big a percentage of people that don't show up for work. Um, so it's all the way through our system. It's, it's government, it's corporations, it's, you know, everywhere. It's everything. Thing. It's hospitals, God forbid. You know, you've just got to have people in those roles. And when you don't, the wheels come off the bus and, and that's what's going on. So yeah. um, if a TA leader wasn't ready to be on the hot seat, they have no choice. That's where they are today. Yeah, it's funny you're you're talking about hospitals. We had a I, I I got a message this week from somebody that's really interested in getting work drive installed at their company, and they're like, "Sorry, we have to we have to hit the pause button on this because they're a healthcare system. Like everything, everything has stopped, other than patient care, right? So like this is, and I have another customer who is one hundred percent behind on their deliveries because they can't get enough people into their factories to work on their products, and this is literally really everything. Like the number of people who I hear talking in my universe saying, you know what, this thing is on back order and I don't know why it's not coming in. And this is not coming in. Why is this taking so long? And where are my cucumbers? And all of the <laughs> shit that people are like losing their minds over. And I just look at them all. I was like, you guys, I just think you need to know the supply chain's really fucked up right now. <laughs> and right, they don't understand because it's starting to hit bottom lines. It's starting to hit households. It's starting to make everybody realize, oh, wait, we needed people doing $7 an hour jobs to make our lives work. Exactly. Exactly. And they don't want to do those anymore. And now oh, everyone's like, oh, crap. shit. Now well, what are we going to do? Exactly. Now what are we going to do? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And um, and we don't have the infrastructure and to be able to replace that in any way. We, uh, we just well, don't. Yeah, yeah, we do. We open the border. I mean, you want to. Well, sure. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's one of yeah. those times where, you know, necessity all of a sudden makes things that were impossible yesterday all of a sudden possible. Like, oh, maybe or we, we solve this problem. Or we, yeah. you know, I don't know, reallocate pay structures up and down the board. All or of a sudden, everything's back or, on the table. Right. I think you're open the border. Is it make it easier for somebody to be able to hire somebody for wherever they are and wherever they they need to to be at to to get it done? Right. Make it legal so we collect the taxes and you know. Absolutely. Um, sure. Great. Yeah. Do Interesting that. times. Yeah. It is, and like it's so fun to do our job. At the same time, it's so overwhelming. Like it's you know that it it never has it been. I feel more fascinating to work in this, in this mm. industry. Like I've yeah. just never felt like the number of people who now understand what we do mm. and why we do it is really fun. Like people are saying, Oh, like you can help with it. Like, yeah, could actually yeah. I have some ideas. Can, 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 can I jump on a tangent on that? One of, one of my big oh. pet peeves in life is it absolutely amazes me how little the average professional particularly, or even average American, understands about what happens on the other side of the desk with recruiting. You know, I've, I've hired three new people in the last three months. We're growing like crazy. I walk them through this whole, you know, here's an overview of the industry. Here's all the different kinds of recruiting and so forth. And they just sit dumbfounded because <laughs> they've been applying online. Like they have that scenario view. I was sitting in a, a group once with, um, with Duke alum. I'm an, an alum. It was for hiring 
And one gentleman who was a very senior guy at MasterCard said, you know, well, if I ever get on a phone call and I hear that somebody's a recruiter, I hang up right away because they're just going to add their fee to my salary and price me out of the market. Oh, my God, here's a man in his 50s who doesn't understand the difference from a headhunter, from an in-house recruiter, from a contingency agent. And as an industry, as a profession, we've done a god awful job having people understand how recruiting works. You know, even very smart, very professional people who moved out a couple of times, they have no idea what's going on the side of the desk. They really don't. And it, it, it amazes me. I think it's one of the few times where people really don't understand. And it's so important to their lives that they understand how you get into a new job and who the players are and how those things work. It amazes me they know so little. Well, and it's fascinating, the volume of bad advice that exists on the web. Like, the, the, like I, it's really funny. Everybody knows that I just love TikTok. And the number of TikToks I see of people like, you know, the, the technology is eating your resume. I'm like, nobody's eating your resume, right? Like, so stop. It, it, we do have a bit of a PR problem. <laughs> we do. Lack of knowledge. We do. Yeah. We do. We do. We do. Yeah. Well, and I think it's because we, again, we spend so much time on the transaction of the work, right? Yeah. We're just, we're, we're not um, articulating what it takes to be able um, to, to go through the, to actually find somebody and to be able to decipher between um, person A and person B and understand who they are and, and understand what drives them. You know, we just aren't there yet. And we think, and it goes back to the beginning of this conversation, when we think the answer to that is to collect more information that's irrelevant. To right. be able to find out who people are and, and what drives them and to get them there. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And, and at some stage, we're going to need to separate experience from knowledge, from skills, from aptitudes. And, and as recruiters, we don't do any of that. We lump them all into this qualifications, um, which really hurts us. Um, we have such, even if it's a profession, um, we don't get into conversations about what those differences are. You know, it's one yep. thing to understand how to how to tie a sailing knot. Intellectually, you can understand what A over B, B over C, loop through kind of thing. It's a different thing to put a rope in your hand and actually watch somebody tie it. Um, we don't ever, you know, we can't differentiate between those things. There are aptitudes. You know, there are people who can sing on key. I'm not one of them. Um, I can I could have a master's in music theory. I could not sing happy birthday to anything that you guys would actually listen to. I just don't have it. But, you know, we, we, we try to assess talent and, and we're such children at this. We just have such limited knowledge about the things that go into capabilities and competence and, and, and so forth. Um, right. But, that's a whole nother conversation. Well, no, I think it's well, a it is. conversation. One I want to get into deeply because at some point, because I think this whole conversation around how we assess talent, how we look at talent, how we help pull out those those elements and understand what they are in a systematic way, right? Which is part of the challenge, right? How do you do that in a systematic way is really an important place for us to get going and then having conversations around the talent space because soon the question's not going to be, how do you find me a person? Um, eventually and very soon is going to turn to how do I know if this person's any good? And I don't think we're ready for that part of the conversation yet. I don't think we're ready there, but. And any good at what? At what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to do what? And that's, and we've talked about this, Tracy. And now I think the challenge is companies are trying to say, well, I need them to do this, but I don't know what I'm going to need them to do a month from now, six months from now, or 18 months and more now. So how do I find somebody that's relevant that can grow with me where I don't know I'm going yet. 
when I don't even know how to assess for today. And I love the fact that companies think that they have an absolutely unique competency model. You know, we're really looking for something very specific here. And, and years ago, when I ran my consulting firm, one client hired me to get the competency models from, you know, like 15 other major corporations. And on every single one of them were analytical skills, interpersonal skills, <laughs> you know, problem solving skills, results orientation. Of the 12 competencies, 10 were the same across every single company. And yet they were convinced that they were absolutely we're super unique. For a unique, yep, unique individual. It's all the Xanabar philosophy. Right. We, yeah. We all think we're unique and special. We need something unique and special. Maury, I've loved this conversation. Um, I definitely would like a continuation around experience, skills, knowledge, and aptitude because that was absolutely everything that I want to talk about in the future, right? Like that is that is how we start really understanding who people are and where we can where we can take them from an experiential and career standpoint. So I am here for that conversation. Please let's schedule some more time with you to talk about that. Yeah. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Alin, thank you so much today. And I just, this is great. I love these conversations. I know they're fabulous. Thank you, Maury, for coming oh, in. Thank and you being guys. Willing to thank just you. Show with I loved us. it. I loved it. I'll do it. You know, we'll, we'll do this on air, off air. You, you guys know Anytime, any place. So yep. um, you're going to be at HR Tech this year. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We are exhibiting HR Tech. So Spark Start and the team will be there. Excellent. And Tracy WorkDrive is going to be there. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And the Talent Rebel Alliance is going to be there. And a lot of great people. So I'm, I, this is my call out to everybody. If you're not going to be there or you're not thinking about it yet, flights to Vegas are cheap. Come on in and join us. It's going to be um, a really interesting time this year to have some robust conversations. Looking forward to it. And if you see any of us there, please stop by and say hello. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, where can people reach out to you, Maury? Um, you can learn a lot about what we do at Sparkstart, S-P-A-R-C-S-T-A-R-T.com. And I can be reached at Maury, M-A-U-R-Y, at sparkstart.com. Awesome. Fabulous. And you can, of course, reach me at Alin Bailey on the Twitter um, or Tracy at T. Parsons, correct? That's correct. Awesome. Have a fabulous day, everybody. Go out there and problem solve and think big things. And we'll talk soon. Great. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening in. We hope you enjoyed yourself. The Talent Rebel Cast is part of the Talent Rebel Alliance. It's a movement connecting strong, independent, bossy, and, well, sometimes feisty women in the talent industry. Together, we're on a mission to grow our ideas, our presence, our value, and our impact. Smart women connecting with smart women to support each other. It's as simple as that. We believe big things happen from simple ideas. If you want to join the Talent Rebel Alliance, come on over and check out our website at talentrebelalliance.com. We hope to hear from you soon. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.